Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Many of us have a story to tell about the first time we visited a national park, when we experienced a treasured place on our own, or aided by a ranger naturalist on a guided walk or around a campfire. Our program this morning um, will be talking about Acadia, one of America's best ideas, and we're stealing that from the Ken Burns special that's coming up later this month on uh, public broadcasting uh, television stations, um, his series on national parks. And we have some wonderful guests in the studio who can help us understand um, Acadia's role and its uh, special place in, in, in our lives. Sheridan Steele is the superintendent of Acadia National Park. Welcome to you, Sheridan. Thank you, Ron. It's great to be here. We also have Adriana McLean. Adriana is a, uh, a ranger and works in the interpretive um, division of Acadia National Park. Welcome to you, Adriana. Thank you. And Stephanie Clement is here with Friends of Acadia, and uh, Stephanie will talk about Friends of Acadia. She was our guest uh, last week as we talked about dark skies, so welcome back, Stephanie. Great. Thank you, Ron. Well, let's um, ask each of you to provide a little bit of background on yourselves and how you came to the, the, the work that you're doing. Um, Sheridan, you've um, probably the, the longest um, park employee in this, in this gathering. Tell us a little bit about your career and, and how you came to, to be working in Acadia. Well, Ron, I've been here now for six years plus at Acadia National Park. It's a great place to be. And uh, I've been in the National Park Service for 30 mm. years or longer. And uh, it goes by very fast because it's a great job, and I'm, I'm really uh, pleased to be in Maine now as part of my career. And what, what first interested you in, in National Park Service? Well, I think probably as a lot of people in the National Park Service today, they traveled to national parks like I did as a child with my family. And I thought somewhere along the line, I thought this would be a great place to work or a great career, career. to have. And... Uh, um, I went to school and natural resources kinds of things and worked my way into the National Park Service, and it has been a great career. Great. Ardrana, you've had a, um, a, a varied career um, to date, and how did you become interested in, in your work and, and the National Park? Well, uh, I started out spending summers in the National Parks with my family. My parents were teachers, and we'd spend summers outside hiking on the coast or exploring the National Parks. and. Um, after graduating from College of the Atlantic, um, I took a small job in a tiny park out west called Bandelier National Monument, mm -hmm. and I was a Student Conservation Association intern there, and I really enjoyed the job where I could kind of meld my interest in education and my love of working with people with um, my passion for the outdoors and conservation. So I've been with the National Park Service and the field of conservation for about seven years now. So mm -hmm. I love it. Mm. And tell us a job. little bit more about your role currently. Yep. I'm a park ranger 
park ranger in the Division of Interpretation and Education. Um, and my job is to kind of meet the needs of melding the public and private to help the Park Service get funding and grants and also working with partners uh, to achieve our goals and our mission. Um, I also love the other part of my job, which is working with the public and children and kind of helping to lead our um, engage youth efforts and connecting kids to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. Right. And Stephanie, tell us a little bit about um, your um, path to come to work for Friends of Acadia. Well, my path really hinges on Acadia. I really fell into my job because of Acadia. Mm -hmm. I was in graduate school at the University of Vermont for natural resources planning and had been focused on water resources as my subject area. And the job came up at Friends of Acadia. Uh, A friend of mine told me about it because she knew that I had a family tie to Mount Desert Island and that we had visited Acadia for years. Um, And so she said, you really, you should go for it. And I was fortunate that I could write in my cover letter, you know, my great-great-grandfather was first settler (laughs) in Seal Harbor, and I think that helped a little bit. And I arrived here, and it's, it's really, for me, it's, all about it's not hard to love Acadia and so Mm -hmm. it makes my job a lot easier and it it really helps with that connection to the land and that passion. Mm. Well just to share um, with listeners my story I I came to Acadia um, as a youngster um, my folks were t- school teachers as well, and we camped in the summertime. And, and now I'm living about a mile and a half from where I camped and just fell in love with, with both the, that, that kind of closeness between the ocean and the forest right there. And uh, I just, just really uh, appreciate the, 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 the role that uh, this national park plays in, in helping kind of um, make that bridge and making a special place where otherwise it would probably all be developed and it would be private homes um, throughout that area. So that my, that's my bias in this particular uh, program. Well, um, Ken Burns' new television series um, is coming up. Um, I believe it starts on the 27th of uh, September. And um, he says in, in that series, National Parks, he quotes somebody who <coughs> says, National Parks are America's best idea. And I would, would posit that Acadia is one of those best examples mm-hmm. of a best idea. Um, Sheridan, maybe you could start and give us a sense of Acadia's history, it's, and including that role of, of early philanthropists, people who, who saw the need to set aside land for the future? Certainly, Acadia would not be a national park without the action of individuals who said, you know, wow, this is a great place. Something needs to be done to protect the best values of this part of Maine. And people like Charles W. Elliott and George B. Dorr um, got together and said, we need to take some action here. And they began actively seeking donations of land and buying land with their own money to protect those natural values of Mount Desert Island. And uh, that ultimately, and not very soon thereafter, led to Sir Demont's National Monument uh, status in 1916. So we're approaching our 100th anniversary here in the next few years. But it's because of private individuals who took action upon themselves to um, and provided the leadership to make Acadia the place that it is today. And that role of private individuals continues throughout the history of Acadia, continues today, and it's a very important role we can talk more about if you mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. The, so uh, first, the Sir de Mont's, um, National Monument, and then um, Acadia became a national park when, in terms of that status? Uh, 1919, 19. it became Lafayette National Park, mm-hmm. and then in uh, 1927, Acadia National Park. And I think there's a funny story there because a couple of women who owned land over on the Scudic Peninsula uh, met with George Dorr. He wanted to make that land part of Acadia National Park or actually a 
part of Lafayette National Park at the time. And these two women said that they were willing to donate their land, but they didn't want to donate it to a park named after a Frenchman. <laughs> and uh, so Dorr went and got the name changed to Acadia National Park, and they ended up donating 2,000 acres of land uh-huh. to then Acadia uh-huh. National Park. Uh-huh. Well, the, the values of Acadia, um, Stephanie, perhaps your great-great-grandfather? Yes. Um, he would have recognized some of the things that Acadia is preserving now. What are some of the things that each of you see as as What's special about Acadia? What What is Acadia protecting? Stephanie, start with you. Well, I think for me, what Acadia means so much to so many people is that it's one of the best family-centered places to go enjoy the outdoors. It has accessible hikes for everyone. You can sit and enjoy the waves. Um, you can listen to bell buoys offshore. You can listen to the cry of a loon, all those different experiences that families can enjoy together in the outdoors. And to me, that's really what Acadia is all about. Mm-hmm. Adriana, what would you add to that? I would add that of uh, many national parks, Acadia has some things that are unique about it in that we have a broken road, carriage road system that's unlike any other in the National Park Service. Um, And in addition to our carriage roads, we also have our historic trail system. Um, Some of those early folks that were interested in protecting Acadia National Park uh, were the path builders. And they created a complex uh, iron rung trail system that is very challenging. And like the many families that come here, Acadia's got something for everyone. That collision of sea and forest is something that captivates people. The smell of the forest, the Mm -hmm. sound of the sea. It's unlike any other place I've been. Mm-hmm. And Sheridan, you've had um, many parks in your um, uh, career. What's special about Acadia for you? Well, each of the national parks is distinctive in its own way. And I think Acadia is distinctive because of the mountains coming to the sea, first of all. Secondly, I think it's the history of Acadia. Uh, the John D. Rockefeller Jr. role here, he designed and built the carriage road system that is such a great part of Acadia today. But I think Acadia is also the opportunity to use all of your senses. Uh, You know, we sit at home sometimes watching TV and we're just kind of watching. But here at Acadia, you can actually be uh, personally involved and you can be smelling the, whether it's the sea air or the the forest floor or whatever, the, the great smells, the great sounds, the natural sounds of the loons and other animals in Acadia, the waves crashing ashore. So you can use all of your senses, and I think that's uh, uh, the best way to really enjoy Maine's outdoors. Mm. There's got to be some challenges that you're facing, um, not among them, uh, or not least among them, uh, monetary challenges, how to, how to maintain mm-hmm. what you have. Talk about some of the challenges that you face in terms of thinking about how to protect this for the <clears throat> ages and, and to make it useful for people right now. Yep. Well, I think uh, the number one priority for me always is protecting the land that's inside the national park. And uh, we've got to do that in a couple of ways. One, uh, through land acquisition or purchasing properties that are inside our boundary that are still privately owned. But as they become available for sale, we need to step up and buy those to add those to the public domain or to Acadia National Park. It's a very important role. And uh, we're using actually still a lot of partners to, to accomplish that. And we're using donated funds a lot of times to uh, still accomplish those purchases. But beyond that, I think uh, we've also got to be constantly aware that land land use changes 
around the national park, just outside of our boundary, can influence what happens inside the boundary and sometimes can have negative impacts. So we need to be working with the local communities to reduce those impacts and to protect those values that bring many people to Mount Desert Island and the communities here and who really make that economic engine that uh, drives this whole place. Mm. It's probably sometimes easier to look somewhere else and to see that kind of encroachment um, than your own backyard. Um, I think of examples in the South and Civil War kinds of uh, battle sites and so on, which are surrounded by strip malls. And um, there isn't a really national park experience in that, those right. situations. Uh-huh. Is that what you, the kinds of things you're talking about? Sure. And if, if you think about it for a moment, if you were sitting on the, the um, shore in Acadia National Park and you happen to be next to private land and someone started their lawnmower there and started mowing their grass, it, it would change your experience. Suddenly you would think, wow, I'm, I'm not out in the the great open spaces. I'm mm-hmm. kind of in a suburb kind mm-hmm. of situation. Or at night when uh, bright lights might be encroaching on uh, the, the starry sky of great dark skies of Acadia National Park. Those are kinds of things that can detract from visitor experience and we want to try to eliminate. We want to protect visitor experience. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a challenge um, when you're cozied up to four, five um, very distinct communities that um, have an equally long history to Acadia. People might not recognize the national value versus what, what's happening at the local background. Stephanie, you must see some of that conflict or the potential for conflict. We do. It's one of those things um, that it makes it difficult to continue to track everything that's going on in every town that borders right. the park because right. there are multiple sets of different town land use ordinances and so on that allow for different uses to happen on the borders of the park. Cell phones are one, cell phone towers are one example of those kinds of things. Another threat that we're facing right now is a resort development um, on the Winter Harbor, uh, a scudic portion of the park, right on the boundaries. There's been a proposal to develop a resort on 3,200 acres that would essentially isolate um, Acadia National Park from wildlife travel and other sorts of things. So so really it's all about how the towns see their relationship with the national park and what they value about the national park and seeing if there's a way that they can help protect um, those values as Sheridan was talking about through their their own tools that they're in control of. Mm-hmm. And if you talk with citizens who have moved here, one of the reasons they've moved here is often because there's a national park. So um, it's the we've met the enemy and, and they are us kind of thing. As, as, as land gets developed, that begins to change the character of the neighborhood. But you've at least got the, the boundaries to work with. Now, Acadia's boundaries haven't always been fixed. So that there's a story there, Sheridan. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the, that notion of, of gifts by land made a, a very much of a patchwork? Um, and you didn't have all the land within the, the boundaries. Yes, it wasn't until 1986 that Acadia actually had a fixed boundary for land uh, to be purchased inside the National Park. But, you know, one of the great stories is that 80-some percent of the land inside Acadia National Park has been donated. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've not had to purchase everything, fortunately. Right. Um, but the other, another interesting fact about Acadia is we have actually two boundaries. We're the only national park with two boundaries. We have this one boundary where we're supposed to acquire all the land inside of that. They call that fee simple ownership. But there's a, a much bigger boundary where we are able to acquire conservation easements. And we have some 
12,000 acres of conservation easement. And an easement is an agreement with the owner to protect the land for the future, uh, to keep it in its natural state, basically. And uh, that really helps protect the character of this area, the character and the values of Acadia National Park. So those conservation lands outside of the fee boundary act as a buffer um, to definitely, some of those definitely. Uh, trends. And, and right. uh, it's a wonderful thing because people are basically stepping forward, volunteering to uh, help protect the values that make this place special. And 95% uh, of our conservation easement lands have been donated. Mm. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about Acadia, one of America's best ideas. In the studio with us are Sheridan Steele, who's superintendent of Acadia National Park, Adriana McLean, who is a, with the, the interpretive division. Uh, she's a, a ranger there. And Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia. You can participate in this radio conversation if you'd like, perhaps hearing your stories of connection to a national park or your questions with our guests by calling one 866-625-9378. Sharon, I'd like to stay with you for a minute because you've um, expressed this long view um, of what's happening in terms of people who are across the country who are participating in outdoor activities and in national parks. And you've got some worries about that, those, some of those trends. I do, Ron. I'm particularly concerned about youth today and what trends we see across the country where uh, kids today are spending much less time in the out of doors than, than I used to. I remember my parents would say, you know, go outside and don't come home until dinner. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> or they'd say, get in the car, we're going to go to Yellowstone National Park. And, and today, it's, it, that's a pretty rare kind of thing. Kids are spending much more time indoors or time focused on electronic kinds of things and less time engaged in the out of doors. And I think that's very worrisome. Uh, long term for not only national parks, but really the environment in general. Uh, if people don't understand and appreciate the environment, they're certainly not going to care about what happens to it over the long term. And that's very much of a concern to me. I, I know others as well. So this notion that if you don't experience it, you might not value it and therefore you might not support um, funding for it. I mean, Absolutely. Right. Yes, that's true. Yep. So you've seen these trends. Um, what are some of the things that you've done about it? I remember you were part of a conference over at Skudik um, yep. a couple of years ago, and the governor um, and his staff were, have kind of picked up that theme, and, and uh, there's a, certainly a state campaign, Take It Outside. What's been your role and your reaction yep. to that? Well, there's a great book by Richard Louv called uh, Last Child in the Woods, and uh, I think that got a lot of people thinking about this issue. And uh, so we tried to bring that down to the state level, and we had a meeting with uh, interested people that uh, turned out to be a very good discussion about this issue. P others see this same issue as being very important. They see the same trends that I do, and uh, we began talking about what could be done about this. Well, uh, obviously, it's going to take a lot of different individuals and organizations working to re-engage youth in the out-of-doors. And Adriana here is uh, one of our rangers who spends a lot of time working on programs for youth uh, to get more and more kids interested, in, not only in Acadia National Park, but in the out-of-doors. Mm. Adriana, you mentioned your parents bringing you to national parks. Um, parents certainly have a role. But has the, the, the role of the national parks changed in terms of how they engage young people? I don't remember spe specific programs for young people when I was coming to Acadia. I remember campfire programs. I certainly enjoyed that. Beyond the campfire program, beyond the guided walk, what's happening now? 
Well, Ron, that's a great question. Um, Acadia National Park will be celebrating its 21st anniversary this fall of kind of our formal education programs. Um, in 1992, uh, we were first asked by local school teachers to begin to engage children in the parks in kind of formal curriculum-based ways. And so with a couple programs, we started welcoming fourth, fifth, and sixth graders uh, out to the park for hands-on kind of inquiry-based experiences out in nature, you know, getting up close and personal, studying the soil, uh, smelling the earth, having kids really look at things from a scientific perspective and also immerse them in the story of the history of Acadia so that they begin to feel a little bit of passion and excitement and possibly be engaged in it in the future. Um, so since 1992, that program has uh, grown exponentially. And now we are looking forward to a really um, busy fall uh, with many children attending our program on the Skudik Peninsula. So what our offerings are now is in addition to our children and family programs that we offer each summer, uh, where we reach in excess of 10,000 kids and families uh, with ranger-guided walks and talks and hikes in the forest. We also have a whole host of day programs and multi-day residential experiences uh, for kids in Maine uh, who may be from places as far away as Fort Fairfield or as far south as Portland who can come out and experience Acadia firsthand with our rangers. Mm. Any particular stories come to mind of, 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 a, of a youngster that, that um, really got turned on by some of these experiences? Oh, definitely. We've got some kids who have actually never seen the ocean before. Mm -hmm. uh, kids who may be from the far reaches of Maine, uh, who may not have the economic uh, ability to visit a national park for the very first time, who maybe were not even aware that Acadia was here. Mm. And the looks on their faces when they smell the sea air for the first time, or they lay in a field on the Scudic Peninsula and look up at the stars, and a bat swoops down above them, and just kind of listening to them giggle in the night. Uh, just pretty ex special experiences for kids, and we really enjoy being out there with them, because a lot of kids talk to us about you know, you ask them, what do you guys do at home? And they say, well, we play video games or mom and dad work all the time. And I've never been hiking before. I don't know what kind of plants there are out there. There's a lot of fear that these kids have of being outdoors. Um, and we're there to try to get them engaged in a fun, safe way. Mm -hmm. And that's what our program is all about. Where does that fear come from? Is that passed on by parents who are fearful of the out, out of doors? Well, Going think, back to Sheridan's point? Yeah, I think there's a temptation to, you know, think parents, but I mean, folks are just trying to make it, make a living, trying mm -hmm. to survive. And mm -hmm. it's really challenging for f parents, especially single parent households. You mm -hmm. think of how many parents out there are trying to raise a family on their own um, and also kind of different kinds of families that are out there now. And also I think media, you know, fear of Lyme's disease or mm -hmm. fear of um, mosquitoes, right. uh, issues with skin cancer. Uh, don't go outside during the middle of the day because there's too much sun. Mm. Um, then don't go out in the morning because that's when the mosquitoes are out. And <laughs> look out at night because who knows what's lurking in the corner. <laughs> so kids, you know, have some real and scary fears, but um, we want them to know that it's safe to be outside and it's mm -hmm. a way to renew themselves and um, get them healthy too. Mm. We're concerned about changes in obesity and um, also attention deficit. And there's all these emotional and physical benefits, uh, including social benefits to spending time outside in nature. And that goes back to Richard Lou's book, who, and he talks about the difference between learning indoors and learning out of doors. 
right? And, you know, some of the statistics that really impressed me, one-third of the children today under 18 are either dangerously overweight or obese today. And we've also uh, read about uh, deficiencies in vitamin D in children today, which can lead to diseases, can lead to more broken bones. And uh, one reason for that is kids are not getting the sunshine mm. that they used to get. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there's the issues that Adriana mentioned. So a lot of parents think that it, there are dangers out there and or good reasons not to let their children just roam in the out of doors like we used to do. And um, I think we're here to say that, you know, many of those hurdles can be overcome and you can still enjoy the out of doors and learn a lot from it and, and actually uh, have a lot of physical uh, and health gains mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Stephanie, I know that Friends of Acadia helps with a kind of a celebration. Is it a family day? What, what's yes. that called? Yes. And what, what are those activities? We have, well, we do a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Family Fun Day is mm-hmm. one of those events, and it's usually on a Sunday, I think around the second Sunday in July, and it's in cooperation with the Park Service. And we, we one of the things, one of our goals is to, instead of just focusing on education and learning, is also to um, bring out the idea that national parks are fun. And so it's really a day that's targeted at bringing kids and their parents in to try different activities that are in the park service or in the parks, such as rock climbing or fly fishing, or actually to learn things as well, like learning about salamanders or um, they come, the, all the smoky bear is usually there and <laughs> the park search and rescue vehicles. So they can try out different things and see what a career in the park service might be and that sort of thing. So mm. it's really a fun day. We we also have a season-long uh, competition for families called Acadia Quest, another partnership with the Park Service, and that's um, a program that families can enter together um, to uh, explore, learn about, and protect Acadia National Park. They have to accomplish two different things in each category and mm-hmm. document it throughout the summer and then turn in their card at the end. And L.L. Bean has been supporting this program by awarding the prizes at the end of the year, some great outdoor camping packages and canoe and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, Adriana, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you engage adults, too, because it must be um, important to engage the whole family, as, as Stephanie was just saying. What, what are some of the things that you, you and the interpretive division do to kind of connect with adults? Well, we offer um, many different programs throughout the summer months, including all through the fall, uh, where we try to get families, uh, local families too, to come to the park, um, including our visitors in the summertime, to come out and really enjoy the park and see things from a different perspective. So we have everything. We've got cruises. uh, We offer guided walks. uh, We offer a variety of different hikes in the park uh, to learn more about the ecology and the forest and what kind of challenges are facing the park. Um, We have uh, different cruises that take kids out to uh, Baker Island or mm. the Islesford Historical Cruise, which is a great chance to see what island life is like um, and visit the wonderful folks of Islesford. Um, in addition, we also have evening programs and special things this year in celebration of the International Year of Astronomy. So if folks are interested in the night sky and want to learn a little bit about what's out there in the universe, um, every weekend in August and September, uh, we offer a program called Night Sky Scoping. And uh, the majority of our programs are free. We only have a few programs that have a small nominal fee, but most of, most of our programs are free to folks, um, and some of them even require a small reservation in advance. That way you get some quality time with a ranger um, that keeps the group small and really engaging. And I think adults learn like kids, mm. hands-on, uh, right. knee-deep in a stream, uh, looking for the things that are out there in the park, and kind of learning more about it 
what to see and what to learn and what to look for. Right. And I know both uh, Friends of Acadia and Acadia National Park um, really encourage a lot of volunteer engagement. And Stephanie, take the lead on that. Uh, how do you how do you do that? Yeah, one one of our goals really is to try to connect people to their national park and um, to encourage people to give back in some way. Um, volunteerism certainly is one of those ways. So Friends of Acadia, working together with the Park Service, we offer three days a week, uh, basically from the beginning of June all the way through mid-October, and then through our concluding event, which is Take Pride in Acadia Day, the first Saturday in November. Um, anyone can show up at park headquarters and go out with uh, people who have been trained as leaders um, to do everything from pulley weeds but between Mr. Rockefeller's teeth, the coping stones on the carriage roads, uh, to building bog bridges, to adding gravel to paths, to planting trees, to it's really a whole variety of projects that people can work on. So that's every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday in the mornings, um, meeting at park headquarters at 8.30, or Take Pride in Acadia Day, folks can sign up in advance for that also. That's the first Saturday in November, and that's a big raking event to prepare the carriage roads uh, for winter. Mm, great. Anything you want to add, Andrea, about volunteer opportunities? Um, outside of those. Yeah, yeah, I would welcome families and children to come to any of those events. And in addition, uh, the park has several kind of volunteer programs where students and families can volunteer with the park on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things like working in our curatorial facility, um, helping care for some of our objects as well. Mm. Uh, We also have a whole host of amazing volunteers that support our visitor center operations, uh, that greet the public, that help guide people through programs. And our programs like Hawk Watch this time Mm. of year on Cadillac mountain that's mostly volunteers as well so mm-hmm. if you're passionate about birds or nature and you want to connect to the park our volunteer coordinator uh, through our website can get you connected to something that you're interested in great volunteerism is extremely important in the national parks and in acadia we have over 3,000 individuals that volunteer each year and uh, we literally could not keep the park running uh, without volunteers so it's a it's a terrific program for everybody. Mm-hmm. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. <clears throat> We're talking about Acadia, one of America's best ideas. Uh, we're stealing that line from uh, the Ken Burns television special that's coming up later this month on uh, main public broadcasting and other national public broadcasting stations. Um, in the studio with us are uh, Sheridan Steele, who's superintendent of Acadia National Park, Adriana McLean, who's with the D- interpretive division. She's a ranger at Acadia National Park, and Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia. If you'd like to participate this morning with a, your story about a national park or a connection to a national park, or you've got questions for our guests, please give us a call at one 625 9378 or locally at 469-0500. Well, um, Adriana, you mentioned um, islands. Um, Isla Ho is part of Acadia National Park, and, and Skudik. Um, mentioned, you told the story about how Skudik came into Acadia National Park. Um, Acadia really was part of the the dialogue um, in the Skudik area um, around what the future would be after the Navy base. And you might tell us the story of why the Navy base is located there rather than on Otter Point. Um, But that dialogue led to the creation of something called the Skudik Education and Research Center. So first, (laughs) tell us why the the Navy base is located there instead of where it used to be on Mount Desert Island. Yes, it used to be on what we call today Fabri Point, and uh, it was a radio communications kind of place for the Navy. And uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr., in his efforts to uh, protect the values of Mount Desert Island and to develop the Park Loop Road and other kinds of features over here, 
really worked to get the Navy to move from where they were at Fabry Point over to uh, the Scudic Peninsula. And um, he success, was successful in that in the 1930s. And that base grew to be quite large, 350 employees at one point. And in, uh, but I think satellites basically reduced the need for that, and it was ultimately determined to be excessed, and the Navy left in 2002. At that point, Congress passed legislation that made it the Scudic Education and Research Center uh, there at, on the Scudic uh, Peninsula. And we have been developing research and education programs over there ever since. And uh, it's about to take a really giant leap forward here in the next couple of years. And I can tell you about that if you're interested. Yes. It's uh, using the Americans Recovery Act or stimulus funding, as some people call it. Uh, we're going to be tearing down buildings over there, turning the old Navy base into more of a campus-like setting. Uh, we're going to be improving buildings for classrooms and laboratories. And uh, we have lodging now for 200 people a night and uh, other day-use kind of facilities. And uh, this, as a result of this transformation that's going to require, uh, going to happen in the next 18 months, we're going to have an incredibly uh, dynamic facility over there, which we hope to then build even better programs for the public and for visitors to Acadia National mm. Park, and particularly with a focus on youth. One of the things that's happening right now is the uh, uh, the uh, what the Scudic International um, Sculpture Festival, and yes. I understand the the concluding ceremonies are tomorrow um, over there. So tell us a little bit about that connection. That's a fascinating one. Yeah, we we've had uh, the national parks have had an artist in residence program for some time now, where artists would come to the park. Uh, and participate in programs and do their thing, whatever mm -hmm. it happened to be, painting or even composing music or photography or sculpture. And they would then present a program and they would leave a piece of art behind for the national parks. And, and this has been a great thing because the public has enjoyed seeing those artists in, at work and seeing the results of their labor and so forth. Well, the the Scudic Sculpture Symposium is now, this is the second time it's been held over there, and they're working in granite, and we're a big, larger scale kind of sculptures than you might normally think of. These are outdoor sculptures that may be 15 or 20 feet tall, and uh, out of granite, and the, it's an international symposium with artists from, uh, I think, six different foreign countries participating this year and um, that it's being wrapped up tomorrow and they'll be showing the results of their work and I've seen it in process as a lot of other people have and it's really a, a wonderful event and the, the results are quite exciting I think. And those sculptures will go out to various communities in, in the coastal area of Maine? The first one that was held two years ago went to six different communities including uh, Southwest Harbor and Winter Harbor and this one will uh, move their works to six new communities. And um, uh, th that's pretty neat too. There will be a tour then mm -hmm. of all of the 12 communities that have this sculpture uh, that's great. work housed. What's the, what's the long term, what's the mission of uh, the Scudic Education Research Center, if you could cap capture it? Um, and, and what's the long term vision? Uh, Adriana, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, yes. Yeah. Scudic is a pretty special place in that um, it's one of the only mainland portions of Acadia National Park. And it's unique in that it's kind of unique cultural and biodiversity there. And also the history is really fascinating. So the 
purpose of SCUDIC is to connect people um, to science in a campus where we can get cutting-edge researchers and scientists and students and children from all over the state and the country to learn more about the National Park mission. So it really furthers our mission in that it enables us to connect people to um, stewardship and conservation values and protecting uh, those different aspects of Acadia in perpetuity. So it's important for us to have a campus where we can engage people in science and parks, uh, get them excited like about things like climate change and uh, air pollution and water conservation and uh, endangered species and endangered plants, and really getting the public through a series of lectures and science uh, BioBlitz events. Uh, we've had the Acadia BioBlitz at the Scudis campus for several years now. There's also, I believe, a uh, fungi blitz that's going to be this fall. So folks are welcome to come out and join scientists to learn more about uh, what kind of resources are in the park and how to care about them. So you the, might just mention yeah, the BioBlitz yeah. for a minute, Ron, yes. because yeah. uh, most people probably don't know what that term yeah. means. But what we have been doing is having a um, group of experts come together with many volunteers at the same time. They spend the weekend over there at Scudic, and in a 48-hour period, they collect all of a particular animal, if you will. One year they did spiders, one year they've done beetles, uh, they've done flies, and they're going to do mushrooms, I understand, mm -hmm. here soon. Fungi, yeah. So anyway, it's it's incredible what they can do in, in a short period of time like that. And we're discovering that there are a lot of uh, species out there that we didn't know existed in Maine or we didn't know existed at all. There have been some totally new th species found mm -hmm. uh, to mankind, so to mm -hmm. speak. So it's a really valuable effort, and people who participate, learn a lot, but also have a great time. Mm -hmm. So this notion that um, you're not completely replacing the economic um, stimulus that was provided by the Navy base, those 300 jobs plus some civilian jobs, but um, the Education Research Center is beginning to think about its long-term future and the economic contribution. Any sense of what that might look like in five to ten years? Well, it's interesting because we, uh, we, we created a nonprofit partner over there called Acadia Partners for Science and Learning, and uh, with the idea that they would help manage the facility so we wouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. uh, they can bring expertise that we don't have. And uh, they have gone from zero employees to 45 now in, in four years. Uh, and that's mostly part-time, but a lot of uh, some full-time as well. And they expect that number to double again in the next couple of years. So um, I think it is definitely having an impact. Plus, the people that are coming to activities over there obviously uh, spend money for various things, gasoline and other mm -hmm. needs, and maybe lodging as well, and those kinds of things. So I think it's going to have a really positive impact on Winter Harbor and Coolsboro. Mm -hmm. the, the notion of, of Acadia as a um, creation by philanthropy. Um, you, Sturden, you, you talked about the history, but that continues today. And Friends of Acadia is an example of, of a partnership, private nonprofit partnering with the Park Service. Tell us about various Friends groups and how Friends of Acadia came to be, Stephanie. Sure. I think there are probably over 150 Friends organizations to national parks across the country. Um, Friends of Acadia is a little bit unique in that, in that we not only raise money for 
uh, various projects in Acadia National Park, and we work in partnership on those projects, but we also have an advocacy side to our organization, which means that we fight threats uh, to the park. We also lobby before Congress and the state legislature for any funding or any legislative issues that may arise. So we're a little bit unique in that regard among friends groups. And among uh, friends groups across the country, they have various missions. Some of them are cooperating associations that run bookstores in national parks. Eastern National actually runs bookstores here at Acadia with an educational purpose and granting some of that money back to the park. Um, and then there are others that are purely volunteer groups that are really set up to provide volunteers to, Acadia, to various national parks. Friends of Acadia started it back in 1986 and uh, really began again um, to foster volunteerism, especially related to, I think, the, I think it was related to the interpretive division primarily at first. Um, and since then, we've grown and grown. We now have 3,500 members in all 50 states and then also internationally. Um, we have, I think it's for over $14 million that we have in reserve for endowments for various projects at the park, everything from maintaining the carriage roads to helping with maintenance on the trail system. We had a big trails campaign several years ago, Acadia Trails Forever. And we have smaller endowments that help fund things like wheelchair accessible carriages that are available for the public to use on the carriage road system. So all in all, we, we maintain that funding. We also raise money each year for other small grants that come to the park, everything from helping out with loon monitoring to um, assisting with Max the horse, who's the ranger, horse ranger, I guess, out there in the park. Um, we help fund his expenses every year. <laughs> and then we have uh, lots of internships that we're involved with. We have ridge runners who are out hiking through the park, talking with visitors about leave no trace principles. Um, mm. And so they're another example of a partnership with the Park Service. Mm you must find that you've, you've struck a chord <laughs> somehow with all of those members and the donations that you get. What do you think that's about? Right. It, well, as I said at the beginning, it's really not hard to love Acadia. Mm -hmm. it, all it really takes is getting out there, experiencing what Acadia has to offer. And I think that begins to tug at your heartstrings. Mm -hmm. um, so that really works well in our favor. The other thing that works well in our favor, honestly, in terms of being a nonprofit, is that we did have some of these early philanthropists from Philadelphia, New York, and Boston, who came up and established their summer community here. So certainly from a financial standpoint, we benefit from having these very generous donors who do live in this area and do love Acadia as they as they do. So. Well, no. and it's, it's probably, they also love um, the coast of Maine. It's not just Acadia. So there's some, there's some connection to those early settlements and what's become Acadia that I think that um, r continues to, to, to connect to people. Right. I think it's the ability to walk from their back door right into Acadia National Park to enjoy the hiking that the um, that we have in this area. Mm -hmm. Also, it's it's that national parks are for everyone. That landscape will not change, unlike other areas up and down the main coast that may be subject to more development and so on. They have that guarantee that in, the, in their backyard, in our backyards, that that national park will always be there. There will always be the opportunities to hike, to bicycle on the carriage roads, and so on. And what a great value that is. Mm. Sure. You know, Ron, you asked me earlier about funding, and I don't think I even answered that question. But um, certainly the endowments that Stephanie just mentioned are extremely important to us because uh, we have 47 miles of carriage road that we maintain inside the national park, and we have 130 miles of hiking trail. And with uh, everybody's budgets getting tighter and tighter, it's just more and more difficult to maintain those uh, trails and carriage roads at the condition we'd like to without some help. And that's where these endowments come in. They have pr produced income each year to Friends of Acadia 
that have gone on to then uh, help us bring people on staff to um, do the maintenance of the carriage roads and trails. So very important. And and we're talking now about potentially an education endowment uh, so that we can assure that education programs will continue into the future no matter what happens to the park budget. So Mm -hmm. it's a terrific program. And uh, I think actually other national parks look at Acadia and Friends of Acadia, uh, their tremendous success because we're a model for -hmm. other national parks and they would like to copy our success. Mm. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. You're um, here. We're talking about Acadia, one of America's best ideas. And you can participate as well if you'd like to give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500. If you've got questions for our guests who include Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia, Adriana McLean, uh, who's a uh, ranger um, with Acadia in the interpretive division, and Sheridan Steele, superintendent of Acadia National Park. Well, this this next uh, series of questions relates a little bit to the whole question of, of funding, and that's um, the Ken Burns um, special mm-hmm. that's coming up. Uh, and his earlier uh, television series engaged America in stories about uh, the Civil War, jazz, baseball, World War II. And he's just completed a 10-year project, um, six-part series on National Parks, America's Best Idea. Now, each of you, I think, attended the preview that was held uh, at the Criterion, wonderful old theater in Bar Harbor, um, earlier this summer. What was your impression about that? What, uh, what, did, what impressions did you take away from that? And maybe you had some experience with working with Ken Burns and his production crew as they put this series together. So um, who would like to start? Sheridan, w- w- you introduced the, the whole program that night. I did. It was a great honor. And uh, I understand 40 million people have seen the Civil War series, and they really expect this one to be seen by even a larger audience. So it's a tremendous opportunity for us, the National Park Service, and for the American public to get a great, uh, I mean, really inspiring view of the history of national parks in this great country we live in. And uh, I actually have had the opportunity to see the entire 12 hours, and it is really a Mm. spectacular uh, series on the history of national parks. And it's taken from uh, individual stories. It's really a, a, a a collection of great stories of what's happened in the national parks around the country. And it's a story of individual action, just like here at Acadia, others who have gotten involved and made a big difference in the future of national parks. And so I think that, to me, is the best theme that runs throughout that and the fact that these parks belong to all Americans and it's part of their heritage to be passed on to the next generation. And uh, uh, it's truly an inspiring story. So mm. I hope I'll everybody will watch that. Mm. Stephanie, what did you take away from your viewing? Yeah, I actually didn't go to the premiere. Oh, you didn't? I didn't because it was very clear to me as the event was approaching that there were so many people who were itching to get in (laughs) that I thought I'm going to hold off and wait and let somebody else have Uh a chance. uh And um, what struck me from the weeks of answering the phone leading into that whole event was that we could have filled that theater four times over. Mm. And I think, again, it is because people have a visceral connection to their national parks and the ability to see on the big screen the dramatic scenery um, that has been preserved across the country and to hear those stories, what a impact um, together those things have. And I I just want to mention also that the Criterion Theater is coming through for us again. So when the Ken Burns series actually shows on PBS, it will also be live on the Criterion's uh, screen 
concurrently. So um, if you follow when the series will show, I think it starts September 27th. Um, that evening and all throughout that week, the Criterion will also be showing. In addition, at the beginning of that, have we're hoping to feature little talks with various rangers or people who are involved with national parks. Great. Well, that would be great for me because my television doesn't come in anymore after <laughs> we went to the digital <laughs> age. So um, I'll, I'll look forward right. to that. Um, Adriana, what did you take away from that experience? Well, Ron, I'll be at the Criterion with you since I don't have a television. <laughs> um, so it'll be an opportunity for right. me to get to see it. I have seen some of the previews for mm. it, and I found it re very moving. Uh, we're very excited from an education and interpretive standpoint because we're looking forward to kind of a renewed sense of stewardship and enthusiasm for the national parks, and also some tools that we can use with school children to get them excited about uh, what national parks mean to them and what stories they can make uh, about meaning and place. So we're excited about that, and just kind of the idea that individuals can be empowered to make a difference, that each person has the capacity to uh, make changes, mm. even in the world around them. Um, you think about the fears that kids have about the environment and the doom and gloom you hear from media. Well, this is a real story of hope and change and inspiration for everyone. And I'm really excited about that. I'm looking into that second century of parks and building a next generation of stewards and park rangers and really getting kids excited about careers in the national parks that uh, working for the National Park Service and the field of conservation is very rewarding and enjoyable. And uh, having your classroom or your office be in the outdoors is pretty nice. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I understand the, um, the, the Civil War series is actively used in, in so many schools because it's it's something that engages people. I anticipate that we'll, we'll see similar kinds of engagement activities, and you mentioned tools. Yeah. Do you know any about the specifics of some of those oh, things? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, the National Park Foundation, which is another amazing partner for the National Park Service, has put out two calls in the last two years to get national parks um, to request project money for grants. And basically what they're looking for is are ways to engage school children across the United States in telling their own stories. So some things that we've been seeing are uh, live media podcasts, uh, digital images on websites, um, also traveling trunks where we're able mm. to take DVDs and CDs to classrooms and building curriculum that uh, is tailored to national science uh, education standards to get kids excited about parks. So what is it that parks have as uh, learning centers or educational locations, parks as classrooms really, uh, to get kids excited about the outdoors. Mm. So we're looking forward to the future um, if impacts of this series. Mm, that's great. And um, Sheridan, were you involved in any of the, the um, production work in the last 10 years when they came to Acadia? How did you, did you see the, the, uh, the process unfold? Well, w I was indirectly involved uh -huh. with them and they were at Acadia at least twice doing filming work. And uh, it's amazing, they, they did this entire series with only 12 people and uh, they have a film crew of three and Dayton Duncan and Ken Burns do a lot of the editing themselves and writing certainly the script and so forth. Um, they had 168 hours of film that they accumulated as they visited 55 national parks and they then boiled that down into these 12 hours. And Acadia is uh, prominent in I believe it's episode three and some in episode four. Uh, so the story here uh, about the way Acadia came about and the way it was supported and actively um, assisted by individuals uh, was worthy of the attention of the Burns crew and, and its 
an important part of the overall story as well. Mm. Well, we're, we're beginning to wrap up the hour. Um, let's turn to the, to the future. What are some of the things that you are looking for as, as um, individuals within the Park Service or looking collectively as, as to uh, what the future holds for either Acadia or for the National Park System? Um, uh, Sheridan, what are some of the, the hopes that you have in terms of, of the future? Well, I hope that the National Park System continues to be the dynamic collection of uh, incredible places and historic sites and resources for all of the Americans uh, into the long-term future, obviously. And so I hope the system continues to grow and Mm -hmm. improve. And I also hope that we can finish off Acadia National Park by protecting the land that we're supposed to protect inside our boundary. But even more important than all of that, I think, is we've got to continue to connect or reconnect uh, this country's youth to the out of doors and to national parks because I think they're the future leaders and the future stewards of the national park system. Mm-hmm. They're certainly the future owners. Mm-hmm. Right. And and are there particular things that um, with Acadia, finishing those boundaries, for instance, how are you going to do that? What are, what are the ways in which you hope to do that? Is there a connection with Friends of Acadia in terms of finding money or other partners to find the money to purchase that? Or is that a federal um, job? That well, it's, it's actually we need a variety of tools to accomplish that because it's a big job. And, and as an example, there are $6 million worth of land right now available for sale that we would like to be acquiring. And Friends of Acadia is indeed raising funds to help us with that acquisition. Uh, but there's also some federal money available. And then there's uh, other partner organizations like Maine Coast Heritage Trust that's helping with us as well on this issue. So it's really a team effort, and uh, we appreciate the strong support we get from our partners on this mm-hmm. important issue. Um, Stephanie, as you looked forward um, w- within Friends of Acadia, what are some of your hopes for, for the future? Well, I agree really with Sheridan that one of our big goals is really to try to develop this next generation of stewards for the parks. And um, I, I really want to point, I just really hope that the Ken Burns series mm-hmm. does help connect people to their national parks and really brings out the theme of natural democracy, mm-hmm. that parks belong to all of us. You can go out and enjoy it. Please do, because it's yours. Mm-hmm. And um, concurrent with that, too, I think I hope for the Friends Movement that we continue to grow in strength and in numbers to provide those opportunities for people to give back to the national parks through time, talents, and also through funding. There's plenty of opportunities for volunteerism in the parks. There's lots of opportunities also to make um, gifts of any size to various Friends groups like Friends of Acadia. So mm-hmm. I really hope that national parks are seen as as yours. Mm. Any new initiatives that you're you're thinking about within Friends of Acadia? Well, we just um, published our our new strategic plan, um, which does have a focus on youth and also public outreach. So, trying to reach a diverse constituency out there. We also are focused on resource protection. So, involving with, with this land protection initiative, um, we also would like to aim more towards environmental leadership, focusing mm. on bigger, tougher problems like global warming and so on. So, mm. we'll, and advocacy again is another arm that we. We need to continue to strengthen. Tell me a little bit more about the environmental leadership. Yeah. What do you envision in that in that project? It's a, it's a little bit of um, it's multiple things. It's okay. um, one I'd say is trying to tackle a little bit of the global warming program. So thinking of ways that we as a friends group can try to combat global warming or climate change through education initiatives and so on. And um, some of that is the Island Explorer, of course, getting mm-hmm. support for the Island Explorer. Another <laughs> effort is within our own organization. How can we green our own events? 
how can we improve our office um, to try to reduce environmental impact and so on. And then also trying to be a model within the national parks um, generally for other friends organizations too. So in that regard, being an environmental or conservation leader. Great. Great. Adriana, um, what are some of the hopes that you have for um, either your work or for um, Acadia? Well, definitely to echo what I've heard from both Sheridan and Stephanie, we're looking forward to the second century of parks. And we really want to um, expand what we've been doing and sustain what we've been doing. And we're looking forward to some um, opportunities to expand one particular program, which is our Teacher Ranger Teacher Program, Mm. uh, where we welcome teachers this year from uh, Fort Fairfield, Maine, uh, New Hampshire, and New York City uh, to come to Acadia and spend the summer as a ranger. And what they've left behind for us is um, exciting and engaging curriculum that we can share with teachers across the United States and also the opportunity to reach school children who really need us. Um, So during National Park Week they present programs and talks to their schools um, and they also continue to connect with the parks uh, throughout that. Our teacher rangers from the previous years have gone on uh, to other national parks and this is an exciting program where we're able to connect the kids in an indirect way uh, by fostering a love of parks with our teachers. Uh, We're also looking at opportunities to continue to support our scholarships and our bus transportation money that we provide for schools and teachers to attend our teacher institutes. Because their their school districts are having to really struggle to get kids on field trips and and places like Acadia, so you're actually trying to help support that. We offset their uh, bus expenses Mm -hmm. and also the Scudic Education Adventure, uh, which is on the Scudic Peninsula. There is a nominal fee per child, and we actually offset that directly with the help of scholarship money. Mm-hmm. So it allows students that wouldn't normally be able to attend a program like that to come out and have an exciting experience. Mm-hmm. And that takes support. That's right. And yeah. I should just add with that that L.L. Bean is actually providing a lot of that support. So I can't say enough good words about L.L. Bean being one of those good corporate stores that has recognized the value of national parks and is investing in our kids. Yeah. Great. Great. Can I say one thing about yes. technology real yes, quick? Please. We're trying to use technology to our advantage as well. And I would encourage people to go to our website. Mm-hmm. And on that website, they can click on and take an electronic cruise. We call it the e-cruise. And people are really enjoying that. It's an opportunity to go out in a boat, at least uh, figuratively, right? right. Figuratively, and uh, listen to some of the sounds that they would hear and and enjoy some of the sights. And then hopefully that interests them in coming and doing the real thing. That's great. uh, That's great. Well, thank you all for being our guests here on Talk of the Towns. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Sheridan Steele, superintendent of Acadia National Park, Adriana McLean, who's an interpreter with Acadia National Park. She's a ranger there. And Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia. Thanks again to all of you for being with us. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.